welcome to episode 204 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, oh, brother. What's going on? Not much, man. I feel like one of these days I'm going to have something to say besides not much, man. But it, it seems like that's, I don't know. It's like how when I call my mom and she's like, what's new? I was like, nothing. Life is, nothing. Life is fine. Everything's old, going on old. the way it was yesterday. In, in fairness, you have the more difficult task here because in the order of operations that we've just created, we've manufactured out of thin air, I always get to ask you first what's going on. It's so really, true. you never have to pose the question back to me. So I'm in the safe zone. I can just chill and hang it's out. It's true. I did learn on a YouTube video the other day, and this may or may not be true, which will play into our topic today, that the order of operations that we use in America for math is not necessarily the actual order of operations in reality, that you can you can make a good argument for a different order of operations in mathematics. Oh my word. Why are you just setting me up? Why do you want to get me started? Is this going to be a math cast? <laughs> I don't think it is math cast. I don't have you, much to contribute if it is. You are a hundred percent correct. And we must leave it at that. Otherwise this episode will be two hours long. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in, speaking, speaking of which we're going to say that we were at to do the same segue, weren't we? We were going to do the same segue. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> All right, you do yours. I'm curious to hear what it sounds like. I was going to say, in light of keeping things short, since we got more, this may be the first time we've had real, like, legitimate complaints about something on our show. We actually yes. had legitimate complaints about last week's affirmations denial. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna front load this with denials, and I'm gonna deny 45 minute denials. So I am really sorry about last week. I'm not sure what it, what happened or why it uh. happened, but we, we just. It just happened. We should have probably just, whatever happened, we should have just turned it into all episode and we didn't. Right. So sorry. Well, That's my denial. Let's just, so let's I, just close out the denial category completely. This shows, and, and I think like people need to know this about us. This is a little bit look behind the curtain. We didn't orchestrate this. We didn't talk about this. But before I came up to record this podcast, I literally said to my wife, my denial this week is how long our affirmations and denials have been. <laughs> So yes. I'm with you. Let's just close it out. But in fairness to us, in a little bit, I want to say like, uh, maybe this is a little bit of, of back padding, self back padding, and a little bit of deference to you and I. Sometimes we, the denials and affirmations end up being with like episodes within episodes. Yeah. Like sometimes we get, we get caught on a theological topic that is just springs right out of something that we want to affirm or deny. So it's not as if like we spoke for 45 minutes, I think I'm like, here's an application that we really deny or yeah. really affirm. We, we had lots of good things to talk about, but in fairness, maybe it should have been its own episode. So I'm already at this point contributing to the very thing I'm denying. So I'm denying against long affirmations denial. Well, so, and also in our, in our defense, as though we have to defend ourselves, uh, in our defense, <laughs> this week is, uh, is basically is the episode that last week's denial should have been. Yes. So we're doing that and we've done it before. So, so that's our denials. So Jesse, what are you affirming this week in short okay, order? So I'm, I'm going to keep this quick as well. I'm catching up because I know that a lot of people have already witnessed this very thing, which I'm going to affirm, but I'm affirming with the documentary American gospel only because I only just saw it this week. And I was like, kind of, I guess kind of prepared to be like, this would be kind of a mediocre documentary. It's amazing. It's fantastic. The, the articulation of the gospel 
from all of these, particularly men, but like all these preachers from everywhere from Paul Washer, Mark Dever to uh, Michael Horton, just amazing. Like it's the kind of thing that made my heart leap with joy at hearing all of these different expressions of what it meant to be participating in the gospel and to receive the gospel. And so I just walked away. I know this is overused by me, but I'm telling you everyone, like this is how I feel. I love it when I hear a sermon or hear an expression of the gospel that literally makes me want to just run outside and just shout for joy. And that's what this was. So I am affirming with the American gospel documentary. Everybody should look it up. I'm at this point, I'm pretty sure everybody has seen it <laughs> except for me, but it's fantastic. Well, I haven't seen it. So I guess there's at least one person that you, you are that person need to convince to see it. So it's, it's on my list too. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to carving out some time to see that as well. And, and the great thing about this documentary was that it made me look like an amazing, like superhero in my own home, because my wife is very familiar with reformed theology, but you know, the community of reformed theology is fairly small yeah. and she doesn't know the voices and the faces of all these men and women. So the great thing is like Michael Horton would start talking before the camera actually panned to an image <laughs> of him with his label. And he would start to say something, you know, like amazingly Michael Horton and profound, like, you know, the thing that the kind of thing that can only be born out of, of immense study, love for the Lord and having triplets, he would start to say something. <laughs> and I would be like, I would just say, it's Michael Horton. And then it would pan to him and she'd be like, how do you know that? That's, That's amazing. I would be, be like, his voice is very distinct, like White Horse Inn. So like, this is, it's just an amazing thing to watch. I really, really enjoyed it. You would love it too. I think you would really love it. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it. I have to carve out some time for it. You know, I've said it before. I think that every paper book, uh, like you have to say paper book now. I, I don't know why. Every book should come <laughs> with an audio CD or like a flash drive with an MP3 on it of the author reading a portion of the book so that way you can listen to the book in the author's voice. And I came to this conclusion because I'm so familiar with Michael Horton and with his way of speaking. I could do this with R.C. Sproul as well, but I'm right. so familiar with Michael Horton and his way of speaking that when I read a Michael Horton book, I read it like legitimately. I read it in his voice, in his voice. And it, it just enhances the like it enhances the quality of the book because Everybody speaks and writes a little bit differently. Nobody nobody writes the same way they speak, but there's always like affinities between how a person writes and how they speak. And being able to understand like the inflection points and the way turns of phrase right. work really does enhance the way that a book flows. So reading uh, the last book I read by Michael Horton was Rediscovering the Holy Spirit, which is an amazing book. So reading good. that, understanding the way that he sort of like does turns of phrase and, and how, kind of his humor uh, it was really, really helpful. So yeah, I think they should do that. Zondervan, if you're listening, get on that. <laughs> okay. This is exactly the problem with their affirmations and denials segment is that, and again, I hope people believe this, that this is like our actual life. When you and I get together and we talk, this is what happens is we start with one point and then we get ourselves like deeply embedded in all these other amazing things it's that we true. talk about. And in this case, I want to say so much more about that. But in the interest of respecting our listeners, I'm going to say instead, what are you affirming this week? <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say this next week. We're going to get we're going to get complaints that it was like your affirmation section was only 10 minutes long. What are you doing? So I'm affirming this is something that very few people in the country will actually be able to participate in. But if you ever find yourself in northern New England any time of year, but especially oh, late summer, maybe not maybe not fall because it's insanity around here in the fall with the leaves. 
but I'm affirming what's called the Kankamangas Highway. And Ooh. so the, the Kankamangas Highway is, <laughs> it, it, first of all, it sounds like a made-up word. And as, it's great. It's as so Thor good. would say, all words are made up, which is true. Thor the philosopher. Um, the Kankamangas Highway is this little stretch of highway. I think it's Route 113 or maybe it's 112. But it's this little stretch of highway that exists between Lincoln, New Hampshire and Conway, New Hampshire. And it goes up into the White Mountains. You can Jesse's watching me squiggle around with my <laughs> fingers. But picture like if you took a piece of spaghetti and just dropped it on a map and then like that was a road. That's the Kankamangas Highway. Is right. it like squirrels around and does all these hairpin turns in through the mountains and it's just got all these little beautiful overlooks, places to pull over and just enjoy God's beauty and his, his majesty that he's built into the creation. Um, you can see everything from really scenic vistas to there's this little like old house in the middle like of the highway where basically it was like this tiny settlement that cropped up in the middle of this valley. And there's only one house that was like the original building. Um, and it's just a really fun drive. It, it, so my wife, Ashley and I, we did the kank. They call it the kank yesterday. The kank Mangus. I don't know what that <laughs> word means. I'm not even going to guess, but we did it yesterday and it was just really, really fun and delightful. It's like 35 miles long. Um, it's yes. not anything like super amazing in terms of like, you're not going to come away from it being like, that was the most amazing road ever, but, but it's just really enjoyable. And you know, the reason I say we've talked about it before, New England becomes this weird tourist trap in the fall with the leaves changing. Don't do right. it during leaf season. Cause first of all, then you're that person. But second of all, it probably won't be as enjoyable, but like we did it, it was September 12th that we did it. Leaves were starting to change. It was beautiful, but it was still pretty, pretty calm. So I'm affirming the Kankamangas highway. I've seen the pictures, which you shared. They're pretty yes, epic. They and I epic. am down with this because maybe some of the value we can add is I love these little affirmations that are a little bit off the beaten path. Like somebody who perhaps lives on the left coast would have no idea that something like this even yeah. existed. And I love the fact that we can share some of the things that are unique to our particular local culture and our environment. This is so good. Also, yeah. I did look it up. By the way, it has its own website, like yeah. kinkamangashighway.com. I know. It's a legitimate website. It's one of those weird highways where, like, once you get on it, there's nowhere to get off. There's no, like, exits until you get to the end of it. It reminds me, when I was young, we used to go visit my grandparents in Florida. And uh, there's a highway that goes through the Everglades. I don't remember what they call it, but it's, like, a, it's 100 miles long. It's dead straight, and there's nowhere to stop. So like if you run out of gas, you're in the middle of alligator country. There's nowhere. So they have like little phone at the time. They had like little phone booths. There was no cell phones. They had little phone stations that would just connect you to 911 every like 10 miles. Wow. But yeah, it's a similar kind of thing. But it, you know, it's it's just one of those little quirks that's developed. It, it you know, it, it was a follow the valley. It kind of follows the the valley of of the two different mountain ranges that it's between. But it's just beautiful. And it was just a lot of fun. I mean, even if you never make it out to New Hampshire, the fact that you now know that Kankamangas is a word I that's know. legitimized, that's just a super fun thing to say with your mouth muscles. Yes. So I think that that's one of the things that basically this has already paid for itself, this podcast, but we have now made it through affirmations and denials in record time. I know it's crazy. I think we've been doing this, I don't know how many episodes and we just did like a 12 minute affirmations denial section breaking our own record. So with that said, what are we talking about on this episode? So we, we, um, we previewed this a little bit last week and I, I want to just say it is entirely possible 
to uh, do this thing that we're going to talk about without realizing it and without any nefarious or or ill intent. So what we're talking about today is kind of this strange nexus that I don't think is utterly unique in the, the Christian life, like in the Christian history. But it's a it's a particularly dangerous time for this issue. And what it is, is this sort of nexus of the ability to to propagate information really quickly Right. And then also the ability to be completely fooled on the internet with the, the truthness or falseness of something. So it, it used to be that if you wanted to spread a lie, it was actually kind of hard to do. Like if you wanted to publish something and it had to make it past an editor and it had to get picked up by a publisher. And usually there's peer review of some sort. Now, if I want to make something up, I just, I just, you know, enroll a blog under a fake name and put it on the internet and nobody knows the difference. Right. right. So last week, in, and what this is what led to our record-breaking long affirmations and denials, is I talked about this 6% uh, statistic that John MacArthur had picked up on and had, had pushed forward. And you know what? I'll say this. In his defense, I saw another statistic by MacArthur today um, that he had commented that was dead on. So it's not like he's always, he's always coming up with wrong ones. He said something like only one one-thousandth of a percent of all Californians have the coronavirus, which is a pretty close estimate. It's actually like eight one-thousandths of a percent, but it's it's a super small percentage. That's beside the point. So it's it's not as though I was saying that everything that John MacArthur passes along is false. And, and of course, that's exactly what's dangerous about this situation is it's very easy to see something on the Internet that seems believable and find out that it is true and pass it along. And then the very next day, find something that seems believable and assume it's true and pass along when it's not. So the 6% figure we talked about last week is one of those kinds of things. But here's another one actually that I've been seeing. That's honestly, I'm not a huge CS Lewis fan. I know, I know Jesse, you really like CS Lewis, but I've never been a huge CS Lewis fan. He's not, he's not someone that I've spent a lot of time reading. Sure. But this quote has been circulating. I don't know if you've seen it because you're not on Facebook that much. But let me read this quote here. It says, my dear Wormwood, which automatically tells you it's from the, the screw tape line. Right. My right. dear Wormwood, be sure the patient remains completely fixated on politics, arguments, political gossip and obsessing on the faults of people they have never met serves as an excellent distraction from advancing in personal virtue, character and things the patient can control. Make sure to keep the patient in a constant state of angst, frustration, and general disdain towards the rest of the human race in order to avoid any kind of charity or inner peace from further developing. Ensure the patient continues to believe that the problem is out there in the broken system, and those are both in quotes, rather than recognizing that there is a problem with himself. Keep up the good work, Uncle Screwtape. And then it says, Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, 1942. It says approximately 1942, which is strange if it strange. was actually a book that was published, which the screw tape letters was and has a defined date. But so so this this quote has been passed around. I personally have commented on 17 different people's uh, Facebook posts over the last week that this is not a true quote by C.S. Lewis. Right. So right. so this happens so quickly. Right. And, and you know what? Maybe I'm just I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just observant. There are a hundred things. Hundred is an exaggeration. There are lots of things that I looked at this that I'm just like, this just doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem like it's a legitimate quote. Maybe I've just developed instincts. Maybe I just got lucky. I don't know. But this exemplifies what we're talking about this week. Right. This right. this quote 
gets passed around. It seems relatively harmless, right? It sounds like the kind of thing that C.S. Lewis might have said, uh, although I would argue that it, it probably wouldn't have been something he would have said. Um, and it's it has a quotation, so it seems legit. And so some people that I've, I've commented on said this is a totally fabricated comment have asked yes. me like, well, what's wrong then? Like if it's, it's not false, right? I mean, everything that's in there seems true. Like what's the, what's the big deal? And, and there's a number of things that I want to talk about tonight, but the main thing is the it's not true, right? So a, right. as Christians, we are, we, we worship a God who not only is true, right? But Jesus is the truth, right? Capital T truth. God is truth in himself, so when we do something or we advocate something that is false, we literally are advocating the opposite of God. And it seems right. like in something like this, it's such a small thing. It's a little, it's a little blurb that pretends to be from a book that C.S. Lewis wrote in approximately 1942. That just isn't <laughs> true. But the big deal to just sort of like front load this, the big deal is that this is not a Christian thing to do, um, right. which we're going to talk about it. But like, We'll root this in the fact that this, the ninth commandment applies to internet quotes. It applies to to made up quotes that people may or may not have said and probably didn't say. So, right. Jesse, before we go much further, what what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, that was an amazing introduction Sorry. to this topic. I've been thinking about well, that, this for a week now. Listen, that that was great because so we are talking, of course, about the ninth commandment, which, in my opinion, is one that's underemphasized in our current evangelical Christian culture. And of course, we're talking about the commandment that from Exodus twenty sixteen, which reads, "You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor." The problem with the way that we interpret that or understand what's written is that we tend to define it very narrowly right. a, instead of very broadly, which I, I appreciate they're bringing the conversation into understanding what is the essential element behind or the precept behind this command. And so I'm absolutely with you because I think the challenge for our day and age is that all words matter. And we yes. routinely consider bearing witness as, as so part of this, I think, is, is the translation, the way in which the language couches or superimposes a very narrow frame in our understanding of what's being said here. We routinely consider bearing witness as a legal activity right. in which there's like a literal witness in a courtroom to some event or information. And that witness gives testimony in that courtroom. And of course the commandment extends beyond those situations. It refers to every word that we say, right. or in some situations, the words that we do not say. And so this shouldn't be surprised for us because in all the commandments, words are a focus of several different things that God gives us as instruction. Obviously we use words when we're worshiping God Children use words when they're honoring their parents. That's the, the fifth commandment. Angry words are one way of breaking the sixth commandment. Immoral words are a method of breaking the seventh commandment. And persons can use words to enable them to steal. So the ninth commandment is also concerned, of course, about words. But its focus is on the false words. Right. And I like where you started with this idea of just to say something seems or appears true, or isn't the sentiment something that's accurate? This misses the point altogether because what God acquire, requires of us, of course, is a holiness. And that holiness has a standard which should be imposed on all of our words. And the problem I think with the internet is, which we said before, is that isn't the internet everything that's wrong with humanity? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like so easy to promulgate something that's false, either inadvertently or advertently. But the question is, should we be vigilant? Should yes. as Christians, we have an extra sense of care and discretion over what we say, what we repost, what we retweet? Should we have the kind of 
discipline that requires us to stop before we click and say, is this thing absolutely true? And, and I guess what we're after is what kind of standards are unique to the Christian, especially with respect to the online environment environment as it applies to the ninth commandment? Yeah. Like, is, is that fair? Is that where we're going with this? Yeah. And, and you know, I think some people might be listening and, and saying, well, does that mean that every time I see a quote that I like that I want to pass along that I have to verify that it actually came from the person it purports to come by. And right. I, I think that most people listening to the show who've listened for any amount of time are going to know that we're going to say, yes, yeah, that's yes. exactly what it means <laughs> is being a Christian is not easy. Like it, it's, it's difficult. It takes effort, not for salvation, but because of who Christ is and what he's done for us, the things that we do to maintain, um, fidelity to what God's word commands us to often right. takes a pretty significant amount of effort. So something like this, honestly, like this is a sort of silly, innocuous and relatively harmless um, in the in the horizontal sense kind of thing to do. Right. right. Sharing this quote, it, it's not like you're trying to hurt somebody. So on one level, I get it. No harm, no foul. But on another level, you're passing something along that's false. So there is harm and there is foul. And and the the article that I'm reading that I I pulled up just just to find the quote I, I wasn't looking for an article that assessed this but I actually think it's funny it's on Medium.com I don't know anything about this person's perspective I would assume that they're probably a Christian because they're writing about a C.S. Lewis quote but what he says here is um, another writer points out that one of the dangers is because we like C.S. Lewis so we like to think that he would have said what we want him to say. If we circulate false quotes, we might be trying to remake him and his ideas into something that agrees with our own. And so, right. so even something as honestly relatively small and harmless and, and well-meant and, and innocent as far as it goes, as passing along a quote that you think represents C.S. Lewis, but he never said, probably actually means that you're trying to change him into something more palatable to yourself than he actually yes. was, either explicitly or implicitly. And, and you know, I, I'm not a C.S. Lewis scholar. I don't I don't know much about C.S. Lewis, to be honest with you. I, I As I said, like, I've never been a huge fan of C.S. Lewis. I've never read the Chronicles of Narnia. I've never read the Screwtape Letters. Like, it's just, I think the only thing I've read completely, I read The Problem of Pain because it was assigned for a class. And I read, um, uh, what was the other one? Uh, the Four Loves, because I, I had the book and I wanted to read it. That's the only thing I've read love. entirely of C.S. Lewis. And I read part of Pilgrim's Regress, which is kind of a, mm. almost like a parody of Pilgrim's yes. Progress. But it, it this does not strike me as the kind of thing he would say. It doesn't strike me as the kind of thing that right. fits in with the other quotes and the other themes that I've read in the Screwtape letter. So for me, my instinct was initially when I saw this, like this seems too good to be true. It seems yes. like this fits our current circumstance <laughs> way too well. And to be honest with you, it took me about 30 seconds on Google Books to find out that this quote doesn't exist. And and right. this is not meant to be a, an, an utterly practical how-to guide to how to find false quotes. But just one of the things here, does it fit our current circumstance exactly, even though it was right. written 60 years ago? Okay, that's maybe something that should raise your alarm bells. Approximately. Right. It doesn't mean... <laughs> what? Approximately. Yes, yes, approximately. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it's not. Like, um, right. Christian liberalism sounds like and feels like it could have been written yesterday, mm. right? But when I first right. read it, I was like, wow, this this seems like it's too too suited for the 20th century or the 21st century to be written in the mid-20th century, but yes. it was. So that's not a, automatically an indicator. 
But then he starts to go on. He starts to talk about things like angst, frustration, and general disdain. Not that those words didn't exist, but angst angst is a term that really came into its fruition after like Freud, like this, this angst, it's a German term. doesn't seem right. like something that a British author would use regularly. And then it starts to go on and then it goes, keep up the good work, uncle screw tape. And then it says by CS Lewis, 19, approximately 1942. <laughs> so first of all, we know when the book was published. There's no reason right. for there to be an approximation right. on a book publication date. And secondly, uh, there's no page number. So even, mm -hmm. I mean, this, this is, and I'm not trying to be pejorative to anybody, but this is like freshman high school, check your sources kind of stuff. Is there a page sure. number? No. Okay. Well, that's suspicious. Is there an actual copyright date on a published book? No. Okay. That seems suspicious. So this one's easy to track down, but there are a lot of things that we run into on the internet that are not as easy to track down. Right. Yeah. I'm totally with you. I, I laugh because in some ways it seems so very silly, but in other ways, it, the silliness, the reason why it's so silly is because at the root, there's something that's very serious here. Because I guess the question we have to ask is, does the Lord desire truthful people? Right. And if he does, then there's no room for making that a relative standard. So it's not enough to just say, well, isn't it good enough that what we think Lewis is saying here, or basically the sentiment that he's communicating, right. which I think you and I would both agree, like if this quote were by itself, like if somebody just posted it on their own and took credit for it, we'd say, okay, like, yeah, I get what you're saying there. And I think that there's something valid in right. what you're saying. But the bottom line is that Christians should be known by their truthfulness, right. that everything that they're saying, everything they're promulgating, everything they support comports with reality. And I think it's just all too easy in our day and age to say, well, look, what's really the harm of reposting something that maybe whether he actually said it or not, I still subscribe to it. Right. But that's exactly the problem is that what the world requires and needs these days are people who are really committed to actual the truth in every single instance, in every single application, every single circumstance. Yeah. So the Lord is desiring this truth in the inner man. And if we have that kind of truth, then I think it should give us pause in how we repost it. And I don't, I don't think it's unfair to say, when we go back to the very beginning and trying to understand what it means to bear false witness, that that example itself comes from the devil because the first creature in the Bible to bear false witness, right. it was the devil in the Garden of Eden when he suggested to Adam and Eve that God was preventing them from discovering real knowledge of good and evil. And in yeah. some ways, the internet is always, that, that is the question of the internet, is trying to understand what is real knowledge of what is good yeah. and of what is false. And the second, of course, creature to bear false witness is Eve when she did so by adding to the stipulations that God had required. So here we see there's a profound example just in taking what seemingly is true and adding something to it to make it. See, so by adding something to it, it now becomes false. And of course, who is the, the third creature to bear false witness? That's Adam himself. And he blamed God for the problem and he blamed God for his wife himself. So like I don't want to be too hyperbolic or extreme, but I think what we're trying to press upon is the fact that Christians need to have a totally different standard. And the irony of this is if we as Christians are hearing this process this and saying, that is too extreme. Are you telling me that I cannot say anything online? I can't pass along a quote unless right. I've done the research myself to vet that it's actually true, that the person that it's perpetuating to say has, has been the progenitor of this quote is the person exactly who said it. Again, like you said, we're saying yes, but that's not our standard. We're right. saying like, that's the kind of people we should be to begin with. That truth is truth, full stop, without exception. And it's just the problem is that the internet makes it too easy. 
And the internet has like a totally different standard, right? The internet right. is too liberal with respect to like, well, it's good enough if it means something. And that's what we're saying. No, what it means is what is truthful. If it is not truthful, then we shouldn't be the kind of people that are pushing it forward. Even just like pushing it forward into the, this like great vast sphere that is like the interwebs. Yeah. We're actually doing a disservice if only to the character of Christ, because Jesus is always in every way only truthful. And so we should be those kind of people as well. Yeah. And you know, I think I want to take this like one step further, right? So I think everybody would agree that knowingly passing along something that is false as though it was true. And and we could get into all sorts uh, of, of course, conversations right. about, you know, was, was it right for the Hebrew midwives to lie to Pharaoh to say, like, we can get into those conversations. Oh, that's a different Shifra and Pua. Uh, yeah. That's a different, right. <laughs> it, was it okay to, to tell the Nazis that you didn't have any Jews in your basement? Yes. Right. We could get into that. That's a whole different conversation. It's worth having, but it's a different one than I want to have right now. That's not a C.S. Lewis, Lewis quote situation, right? right? But I do think that everybody understands and agrees that knowingly passing along something like this when you know it's false, right? If I know that this isn't a C.S. Lewis quote and I pass it along and don't say, I know this isn't a C.S. Lewis quote, but I really know what I really like what it says. I think everybody knows that that probably is not right. However, where I want to go that I actually think most Christians don't go, and I think it's important for us to realize, is unknowingly passing along this information that is false, demonstrably, objectively false, right. is maybe not equally sinful, but I think it is also a violation of the Ninth Commandment. And and you can pick this quote, you can pick John MacArthur, who I think probably really believed what he had to say about sick, only 6% of deaths were actually a result of COVID. Even though that's not right. the truth, I think he really thought that. I don't think he was intentionally misleading anybody. We could say this about, you know, all the people who go, well, Francis Assisi once said, preach, preach the gospel with all, <laughs> with, you know, in all, all, all times, we use words necessary. There's right. no good reason to think that Francis of Assisi said that. In fact, there's lots of good reasons to think he didn't say that because he was an itinerant preacher. His whole vocation yes. was to travel around and preach the gospel with words. So, or it could be, you know, I've learned to kiss the waves that slam me against the rock of ages, right? That's a Charles Spurgeon quote. But we don't know that it is. And actually, it's pretty reasonable to think it wasn't. Or Martin Luther. Approximately. If the world, approximately, yeah. If <laughs> if the world was going to end tomorrow, I'd plant a tree. I don't, I don't think we actually have any evidence that he said that. So there's right. all these kinds of things that get passed along. And, and it drives me nuts because I'll see them and I'll try to validate them. And all I find over and over again is a thousand Christian quote websites quoting it. And that this actually happens with the C.S. Lewis quote. If you type this C.S. Lewis quote into Google and search, the result that comes up is the Google Books entry. But not because Google Books has compared the two and identified that these words are actually in it. It's because so many people have quoted this with the word C.S. Lewis that Google's right algorithm on. thinks that this Picks goes to this book, even though it doesn't. If you actually search the text of Screwtape Letters, these words do not appear in there. So right. where I want to go, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, is the Ninth Commandment actually requires us not just to avoid spreading falsehood, knowingly spreading falsehood, but to go the extra step and confirm yes. the veracity of what we're saying yes. before we pass it along. And th this is true on the internet. It's true when I'm having a conversation with a coworker. If they say to me, how do I, how many minutes should I book such and such a, uh, such and such a procedure for? 
If yes. I don't know and I say to them, uh, 45 minutes, I think, is probably right. Why don't you book it for 45 minutes? They book it wrong. There's real world consequences for them booking that procedure wrong. And it all stems. It all started when I did not properly validate that my knowledge was correct. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on it about like this unknowingly promulgation of falsehood and where that fits in with the ninth commandment. Ninth commandment. Yeah, I think basically what we're saying here is we understand the scripture is that there just is no excuse for being able to say, well, it was unintentional what I did, because it's calling the Christian to have compared to the world an undue measure of care for what they say, that there's actually like a burden upon them. And we shouldn't be surprised by this because isn't this the message that Jesus delivers to us in all manners of life? Like in all, let's say moral consequences, moral responsibility. It's not just about not doing something, but it's about going beyond and doing the very thing that brings about righteousness because this is really the way that which God is honored in our lives. Any person cannot do something that is seemingly illegal. If you lay down a law for somebody, right? They can be obedient to the standard, which says, don't do this. But the Christian ethic is not just don't do this. It's do this very thing that is above and beyond that. Be careful, be vigilant, be loving, be kind. We can go straight to John 316, which of course says that God, so loved the world that he gave that true love is always this matter of giving, which is above and beyond, which is minimally required just for some kind of sense of keeping the peace or that, which is, you know, necessary to make sure that we broker some kind of sense of responsibility among two parties so that there isn't any conflict. This isn't the avoidance of conflict. It's actually the thing that brings about unity and loving kindness among people of different relationships. So I'm with you. Uh, Like this is the thing that's so hard for me is when we look at the, for instance, like the Sermon on the Mount, what I think Jesus does were, besides just all the stuff where he says like, listen, let me redefine everything that you thought you knew. The stuff that you were just trying to avoid, let me redefine what it means to be an adulterer. So if we can just, and this is unfair, but set that aside. When he gets to the point where he's talking about sacrifice, he says, if you come to the altar and in that moment, you realize that somebody has something against you. So think about the reversal of this. It's not like, do you have something against somebody else that you need to go in and apologize for right. that you have wronged this person? He says, if you come to the altar and you realize somebody has something against you, then you go to that person and you apologize. Like yeah. this is the whole standard what Jesus gives. And so why should we be surprised when we come to the ninth commandment? That the really the proper way to interpret that as we do all the other two commandments, we talked explicitly in this context of COVID about the sixth commandment and how this idea of do not kill also means you need to promote life. And that means put on the mask because that protects others from something that you may be carrying in the same way. This is how we ought to interpret the ninth commandment. And I'm just going to stand really quickly. I just want to throw this out there. I've already said so much in this single breath that I've taken, but I'm really standing on and fanboying with all of the Puritans again, and especially Thomas Boston, because he has an amazing sermon on all of the commandments, but he speaks explicitly about the ninth in a way that absolutely just set me on the floor. And here's some of the reasons, here's some of the things that he says we ought to consider in the ninth commandment. I'm just going to list them really, really quickly. He says, part of what is basically how we may injure our neighbor in speaking sinfully in terms of that commandment is by unnecessary discovery of faults and infirmities of others, by aggravating lesser faults in others, by reviving the memory of sins that persons have repented over, by betraying secrets that are committed to us, by endeavoring to damage the deserved credit of another, 
by evil or pejorative reports. This goes to exactly what you're saying to disparage a person unjustly by slandering, backbiting, by tailbearing, by refusing to listen to the just deference of wronged parties and by scornful contempt and scoffing and mocking others. I think he is right on the point. Yeah. So much so that there's so many of these things I didn't even see. They weren't on my radar until he brought them up forward. But I think this is the standard. And I think the standard is to be more loving than just saying what's minimally required of me is not to lie. Yeah. I don't think that's at all what God had in mind no. when he set this forward for us. Yeah. And, and, you know, we wouldn't be this podcast if we didn't spend a little time going to the confessions on something like this. So I'm reading from of course. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Wait, 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 wait. Can I ask approximately when was the... <laughs> You're going to embarrass me because I'm going to get it wrong and then I'm doing everything <laughs> that. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. The I just, Westminster that was Confession was originally finished in 1646. Boom. I believe that the catechisms were finished and submitted shortly after that. I don't think that they were submitted beforehand. I don't know off the top of my head, though. So approximately. Approximately 1646. <laughs> so I'm reading from question uh, 77. Uh, it says, what is required in the Ninth Commandment? So the, the Westminster uh, tradition, as well as the, the Continental tradition, and even the Lutheran tradition, really the whole Christian tradition, has always viewed the commandments as having both a positive and a negative aspect. Yes, even though exactly. the, Even though the, the, um, the Ten Commandments in the Scripture are primarily... Uh, primarily formatted in prohibitions of things you should not do. There's an implication that if you should not do X, that it's implied that it means you should do Y and the, the right. Y would be the opposite of X. And so the ninth commandment follows the same pattern. It says what's required in the ninth commandment. The ninth re uh, commandment requires the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man and of our own and neighbor's good name, especially in witness bearing. So, so the, 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 what's in view in the, the ninth commandment in the book of Exodus really is a courtroom situation. It's really talking about, um, legal testimony, but that, right. that particular application has implications for the rest of life. And then it says in 78, what's forbidden in the ninth commandment, the ninth commandment forbids whatsoever is prejudicial to the truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. And so when we're talking about this in terms of sort of unwitting sin, right? There, there's a category of sin where you, you sin and you don't know it. So passing right. along, uh, just to use Francis of Assisi, passing along this quote that Francis of Assisi probably didn't say and probably would have would have rejected on his own, it makes him look worse than he is. Like it makes him look like something he's not. It makes him look like he wasn't about the verbal proclamation of the gospel, which is not right. who Francis of Assisi was. All of the indications we have is that he was zealous to preach the gospel. It got him into trouble that he was so zealous to preach the gospel. So, so when we say that, when we characterize Francis's ministry as a, a wordless uh, action-based gospel presentation, which is in, insane and incoherent. We've talked about that before, but when we characterize him as being something that he actually would oppose, we are now uh, slandering his good name because right. he would consider his good name to involve him being an outward preacher of the gospel. Right now, when we do something a little bit less 
blatant, like say something that Martin Luther probably actually would have said, right? He's famous for saying, you're not a good shoemaker because you put little crosses on the shoes, but because your shoes don't fall apart or something to that effect. I, I don't know that that's an actual quote of his, but it is certainly in line with his overall theology of vocation. But we right. still are not being, uh, we're still not being uh, seekers of promoting truth when we we attempt to promote a true thing by doing something false. It would be mm-hmm. like if, um, it's like if someone commits a crime, but you can't catch them in the act. And so you plant evidence that that proves that they did the crime, right? You, you, you know that they murdered somebody. And so you steal something from the murdered person's house and you plant it in their, in their uh, locker at work so that it's discovered, right. right? You might think that you're doing a good thing, but what you're actually doing, and this, this actually has real world implications. Usually that trial gets thrown out. That person who is a murderer goes free because you tainted the situation. So it's important for us to not just, as you said, it's not just about hating the lie. It's about loving the truth. That's the heart of the ninth commandment is it's, it's about loving the truth because God is truth and we love God. So this could be as, you know, like sometimes you see, um, and I, I, usually it's, it's liberals who don't read the Bible who do this in my experience, but you see these quotes that are from Jesus, but they're not actually from Jesus. And sometimes the defense, when you call them for that and you say, well, that's not really in the Bible. They go, well, it's the kind of thing Jesus would have said. Well, (laughs) if it was the kind of thing Jesus would have said, then that's fine. But we don't have an evidence of that. And and most of the time, it's not actually the kind of thing Jesus would have said. But but that's almost irrelevant in this point, because when we when we look at the ninth commandment and we realize and this is where I think Christians get it wrong is we think, oh, my goodness, that is such a high, unreachable standard that no one could ever do. If I had to fact check every single thing that I was going to post or repost on the Internet, then I would never post anything on the Internet. And, right. and here's the funny part. Yes. Like, that's the point. Like, the standard is so high. It's so unachievable because the law is perfect. And what God yes. demands is perfect and perpetual obedience to his perfect standard. And so I, honestly, like, I'm not saying you have to fact check everything you post on the Internet, but you are accountable for the fact that it is true or the fact that it is false. So it's up to you if you want to fact check it. If you want to pass something along that you're pretty sure is true, I don't know why my voice is all squeaky right now, but if you want to if you want to fact check it or not fact check it, that's fine. But if you want to pass along something that may or may not be true, there is an accountability that you're going yes. to have to deal with when it's not true. And this is, I don't want to say the person's name because I don't have permission to say this, but I, I messaged someone yesterday about this or I, I posted on their Facebook and I'll, I'll be the first to admit after the, this was the 17th time that I had done it. I might've been a little more snarky than I needed to be. I maybe was a little bit more snarky and it happened to be someone that I haven't spoken to in a, in a fair amount of time. It's not someone that I regularly communicate with. I left some of my Facebook groups. So some people that I normally don't see in my feed are showing up on my feed. And he messaged me and he was really, really upset that I called him out. And I asked him, I said, are you more upset that I called you out or more upset that you shared something false? Is is this about your pride of being embarrassed or is this about you being upset because you shared something that was a lie? And at the end of the conversation, he said, I really think it was about my pride of being embarrassed. You embarrassed me by calling me out publicly and I was upset. So I, I was angry and I messaged you in anger. But that's the question we have to ask. Am I more concerned with passing along this pithy quote that makes my point or am I more concerned with propagating and maintaining the truth between man? We have to be more con- more concerned with the truth than we are about making our point or about making ourselves look good. 
Right. Yeah, I think you summed it up best is Christians are called to be lovers of the truth. And that standard is in some ways impossibly high. Right. But in other ways, it's practically relevant that there should be a distinction between the Christian person, maybe even especially online with respect to how they post and what they push forward. And so I understand we'll make mistakes. Like we'll think that the thing that we're reposting is as we vetted it, the thing that's very accurate and it may turn out to be exactly not that it doesn't remove responsibility and accountability for action. And I think that's what's being represented here. And I think if anything, I would love for listeners to be aware that there's been so much ink that has been spilled actually on the ninth commandment in understanding what it means beyond just the sense of like, well, if you're ever called to give testimony in court of law, this ninth commandment does apply to you. It's so much broader than that because yeah. mistruth and half truth is incredibly destructive. That That's just the bottom line. I think actually we've been lulled into a sense that it's not really that important that if you tell the white lie, if you tell something that's mostly true or the sentiment is accurate, but maybe the particulars around it are not incredibly accurate, that that's okay. Yeah. It's not okay. That's not really the life of the Christian. That's not the kind of example that we receive through Jesus Christ. It's not the kind of example that I think we want to promulgate in our own spheres of influence. And so one place that I might recommend, because we just don't really have time to go into this, but if you're looking for some more lovely practical reading on the Ninth Commandment, I would really recommend that you go to an exp what's called an Expedition of the Assembly Shorter Catechism by John Flavel, because at this point, everybody knows how much I love John Flavel, but <laughs> he has a series of questions and answers that are just based around the Ninth Commandment, and they're so lovely. They really are lovely in their depth of practicality and in their importance and their relevance to just what we might say is normal life. Yeah. And so I've just been learning so much since you recommended this topic because it's easy in some ways to grab this low hanging fruit of the internet can be a place where lies proliferate. But what about us? What about the way that we focus and we say things and we're just so comfortable with really even sometimes we were, we we're quick to exposit what we think is the truth, even though that we know in the center of our being that we actually don't have superior information right. on this and we think we're mostly right or we're willing to, to take the chance that we think, well, there's a good possibility, there's a good probability that I'm right. That's not the standard yeah. of Christians. And so I'm wondering, like, what would it be like if Christians really took seriously the sense that they are called to exhibit in all areas truth and profound truth? And that sometimes, and maybe perhaps all the time, it's okay to say, I just don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if this is accurate, and I'm not going to push forward anything that I don't know to be 100% accurate, even if I like what's being said here. So yeah. I think what you're doing is you're calling us to like a different standard, which actually, ironically, is just the biblical standard. Right. But this is a hard thing. And I think, honestly, we ought to take a second, because I think a lot of people are going to bristle at what we're saying. And even I have this natural proclivity to have this clenched fist to say, like, you, nobody understands what we're calling us to here. Like, this seems like an impossible thing. Like, you're really saying that I need to interact online in a way that nobody else is being held to the standard. And you're saying that at the vet, every single thing. And I think what we're saying is, can we at least not take a beat, take a step, take a breath and pause yeah. and say, like, how much do we, how much can we really understand the truth of what we're putting forward? I think that would be like an amazing victory for Christians to say, like, let me pause and understand yeah. how I'm interacting online, but like in all areas of life, like what, what I'm convicted by is, is the example that you gave in your own work environment where you're saying, I need to be careful about the expectations I set before people. And if I'm not a hundred percent confident 
in the expectation that I'm setting, should that not at least make me give pause to say, I need to think about what I'm saying? Because think about how many people work in industries where somebody's relying on them as the expert and whatever comes out of your mouth comes as like the qualified expert opinion. Yeah. And you may be thinking, well, there's a small probability that I'm wrong here, but that other person is taking what you say, and this is a horrible pun, but it's taking what you say as the gospel. Yeah. And so we need to understand, like, we need to be very careful about that kind of truth because in some ways what God is vouchsafing to us in our roles as experts is that sense of what I'm saying is a hundred percent the truth. So I think there's like all kinds of elements here. There's all kinds of layers and elements. It's like a seven layer dip where you need to like put the chip in and, and really take inventory. This metaphor just got away from me. <laughs> but like when, when you're dipping that chip in, understanding like, am I really digging deep into what is the truth here? You got to get all the or way down be- to those beans. All the way down is the bean. Is that like the fundamental uh-huh. layer? That's one of them. It's not the top oh, okay. usually. So I have no idea. Like I just see, like I haven't had a seven layer dip in a long time. And I, I guess it's seven because that's the, the number of perfection. Yes. It's a perfect dip. Yeah. Okay. So then we're on the <laughs> same page, but, but all that to say, like, I just think we need to, maybe the whole thing is like, be careful. Like maybe that's the whole warning here is like, yeah. really be careful because we are going to be held accountable for what we say. Words matter. Yeah. And especially where we've been given some place of authority in the world, even if that's in the quote unquote secular sense, because that is like, we have an acumen and we've been trained or we have knowledge in something that's not maybe like even explicitly theological, Yeah. but just in a place where people are trusting us, they've given them their confidence to us by what we were going to say. We need to be so, so, so careful. So I think that hopefully, if nothing else in this conversation, it will cause all of us to give like a greater sense of respect and pause for the things that have been vouchsafed to us with some sense of security and that we need yeah. to be very careful with what we say. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably a good place to kind of kind of wind it down is the standard that I'm proposing is, of course, not realistic. Right. I, I get that. Like, I understand that it is not possible to fact check everything that comes your way. Um, and I don't know that it's necessary. There are some things, you know, if I was going to type a a sentence about the blue sky that I saw this morning on the way to church, I don't need to like look up online to make sure that the sky was actually blue on that. But like, (laughs) right. But what I am saying, though, is that there are times and and we've all done it. I've done it. I'm not exempt for this. There's times that I've passed something along that I then had to. And here's a notable example. Right. Brad Littlejohn. I don't know if you've have you read anything that Brad Littlejohn has published. He's he's mostly online, but he's a pretty pretty crisp scholar, but he, um, he's got an online presence. I'm friends with him on Facebook in, uh, it was probably like mid February. He posted something about the coronavirus, and I wrote to him and I said, I really think this thing is overblown. I think people are panicking. And I said, there's almost no chance that this could become, uh, worse than an annual flu. Let's just let that sink in for a second. Right. How many episodes and and affirmations and denials have we devoted to talking about the coronavirus and how serious it is? And I said to someone publicly on Facebook, there's no way this is going to become worse than an average view. It's almost inconceivable. And to I'll be honest, like at the time, it was for me, it was almost inconceivable. But I had not done much research. (laughs) I had really done a lot of research on what was actually going on with this. I assumed that it was basically the same as the other kinds of outbreak type viruses that we've seen come out of China that make their way to the U.S. and fizzle out 
or that it was the same as something like Ebola that hits Africa really hard and then two or three people get it in the United States and it's not that big of a deal. And and I actually got to the point where I, I had to say I was wrong about this. I actually went back and I found I went back on Facebook and I found the thread where I commented that and I made sure to go in there and say, looking back at this, I was clearly mistaken about my assumptions on this. Right. And I thought that was important for me to do. And this this is another thing that happens with the C.S. Lewis quote is the person who I was talking to that got really offended. They deleted the post. And I said, you know, the most likely place for somebody to find out that this quote is not correct is for them to see it in the place they first saw it. Right. They're already seeing it on your Facebook. They're likely to see the comments that come after it. So so leaving it up there for the world to see that you made the mistake is a little bit embarrassing, but it promotes the truth among Christians, promotes the truth between men. So a lot of what I'm saying and a lot of what I'm advocating is we have to swallow our pride. We're going to pass things along that end up being wrong. It's almost it's almost unlikely that we won't. Um, It's almost impossible that we won't. So so it's. The idea that we need to promote truth and love truth means that a lot of times we need to swallow our pride and go mm. and and take that back. We need to walk it back, but not in a way that hides that we made a mistake or hides that we spread something that was false, but in a way that promotes the truth by revealing the mistake we made. So it's not right. easy to do. You know, I, there's there's plenty of times on this show where I've had to swallow crow and say, I think I misunderstood what this person was saying. Me, me too. Right. So so <laughs> it's not easy, but it's important. How many people do you know that if you went to them and said, you know, I, I mentioned this thing the other day or something as simple as this. Right. I was at the store the other day. This is a made up scenario. This didn't really happen. But if I was at the store the other day and I didn't, I, I said, oh, this, my, you know, I, this thing was on the shopping list and I didn't get it. And I get home and I say, oh, no, they were out. Right. If that's a lie and then I, I feel convicted of it instead, I instead of just, you know, not doing it again, the right thing for me to do would be to go to my wife and say, you know, the other day when when I said it was out, it was really just because I, I forgot to get it and I was embarrassed right. that I forgot to get it on the list. Right. That changes the whole dynamic of things. It makes it less likely to happen in the future on a practical level, because when I say to her, oh, yeah, they were out. She's going, were they really out or did you just not find it? Right. Right. So I know that that's going to happen. But on a relational level now, even though trust was broken, it's more likely that that trust can be rebuilt because now we're moving forward on a foundation of honesty. And on a spiritual level, that's a sanctifying reality. Having to be humble about that and acknowledge my shortcomings, confess that, as we talked about last week, confession has a practical horizontal reality. Confess that to the person has some practical implications. But then being honest and, and transparent in terms of my relationship with God does have spiritual benefit, sanctifying benefit. All of those things can't happen if you're not willing to love and promote the truth. Right. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, that that's like the right place, I think, to end this conversation. It's it's this whole idea that have any of us at any given point in time, like inadvertently communicated misinformation, of course. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I think what we're saying is you shouldn't despair in that because in Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness even right. for that thing. These sins that we commit because we don't even realize we're doing that, even there, he is gracious to us. And yet the standard that he gives to us is that we really need to be paying attention to those things. And I think the greater sin, no, that's not fair way of saying it. I think like the the greater disservice that we do to brothers and sisters and to the world is when we just become lax in being vigilant in telling the truth. 
And so I don't want any Christian to be lax. If we commit a sin in which we did not intend, Jesus Christ is faithful to forgive us our sins when we confess that sin to him. And at the same time, it should be our standard that we're not going to commit any of those sins um, purposefully. Right. And so we just need to be very, very, very careful. And so I think that there's there's something admirable about that, right? Like when we build relationships, when we build trust, all of that, of course, is built on truth. And so when we it, when we come close to the Lord Jesus Christ by being having this almost, I would say, like eccentric commitment to telling the truth, that this I don't see how this could be bad for us because this is going to garner support. It's going to make us winsome among our friends and our peers and our family, even though even though those people are not Christians. And so in that way, we are honoring God because we know that our God is a God of truth, and he wants a people who are, have truth both in the inner being and, of course, like out of the abundance of the heart, we know that Jesus says, yeah. the mouth speaks. And so it does start within us, but it starts with this commitment. And how we interact online, of course, is just one of manifestation of that commitment. But the question is, if we reverse the engineer this from the outside in, are we the kind of people that are like truly committed to the truth? And then I like the way you said it. Do we love the truth? Not just are we willing to get away with, can we post something in, in such a way so that we know that maybe if it's a little bit in that gray area, people will still like it. It's enough to get away with saying it that somebody won't question us. Right. The question is really, do we love the truth? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, before we wrap up, I'll say this too, is I don't think it's the case, and we've joked about this before, but I don't think it's the case that living a rat like a radically Christian life that people are suddenly going to like fall down on their knees and accept Jesus because your life is so different. Like, I just don't, of course. I don't think that that regularly happens and kind of the old youth group trope of like, well, they're just going to see your life is so different. And they're just going to ask you why you're so different. Like, I just don't, I just, <laughs> it's never happened to me in, in real practical ways, but here is what right. happened. And, and this, this was one of those moments that I look back on that was kind of like a watershed moment. And I, I wasn't trying to do it. It just happened. I, um, I had forgotten to punch in at work. Everybody does that. You have to put in a manual punch on your time card. And um, I had forgotten to punch in. And the way that our time card works is if you start at 7.53, then your time card starts at 8. So it rounds up. And this is common. And then also if you start at 8.06, it goes back to 8. So like there's that buffer zone where you get paid on the 15-minute marks. And I had put in my time card. I had punched in. Uh, this I'm not remembering it 100%. But I, let's say that I had punched in at 7.57. And so, right. so when I went to put my manual punch in, even though I knew I was only going to get paid from eight o'clock, I put in seven fifty-seven because that's when I that's when I actually sat down to start working. My manager, uh, after that, she actually came to me and said, uh, "Just so you know, like if you forget to punch in, you can just put in eight because you only get paid from eight. You don't need to worry about the specific, you know, time. You don't need to worry about the specific minutes." And I, I just kind of looked at her. I said, "Well, I want to be accurate because the truth is important." And she looked at me and she, she kind of didn't, it was like, it didn't click with her. And, and she said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, like the truth is important. I'm not supposed to tell lies. Like that's part of my faith is that I'm supposed to be a person of honesty and integrity. And I could just tell it was like the first, it was like the first time she'd ever heard that. And, and this, she wasn't even asking me to lie per se. She was just saying like, look, in terms of accounting, it doesn't matter if you put in 757 or eight o'clock, right. it just doesn't matter. And the fact that I, I just, I love the truth. Like I want to be accurate. I want to be honest. It's a matter of integrity for me. It made an impact on her. 
And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if that led her to leave, you know, to somewhere down the road, accept the gospel and to turn to Jesus. I don't know. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know, but it made an impact on her. And this is one right. of those little areas. I think that Christians who are, are radically committed to the truth, the world will absolutely t- stand up and take notice of that. If you are committed to never passing along something that is not provable online, that is not validatable online, that is something people will see. If you winsomely point out when someone passes along something that is well meant, but ultimately false, that is something people will notice and observe and stand up and take notice of. So it's not that we should be doing this for pragmatic reasons, but there are lots of pragmatic reasons to do it. Yes, exactly. So, well... But that's a, that's the funny thing about the the um, the commandments, isn't it? Like uh, God gives us these because they comport with His character, and yet at the same time, He's expressing the reality of the world, which is that the reality is the world work, works best when all these Ten Commandments are followed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's just the way it is. Like it, it's funny. I was reading about the difference that's between the Lutheran and Reformed. What was that? <laughs> I, don't know, I, try, I was trying to jump in with a quick like song. lyric the there, like vo- yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, I couldn't honestly, I couldn't top what you did. Like, yeah. was it last week? The I couldn't oceans? top it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I totally lost what I was going to say. Oh, I was reading about Sorry. the difference between Lutheran understanding of the law and Reformed understanding of the law in in yeah. the Reformation. And one of the things that was a big difference is the Lutherans, and it's not 100% true to say they denied the third use of the law, that they would utterly reject the law right. as a guide for Christian morality. But by and large, they were un- they were uncomfortable with that concept. And one of the things that was significantly different is the Reformed absolutely wholeheartedly embraced the moral law as a guideline for mm. holy Christian living. Not to obtain salvation, but to show us what it means to be like Jesus. And that that's right. a part of our ultimate ultimate glorification is to become more and more like Jesus. And in practical ways, obedience to the moral law does that. It brings us there uh, by the Spirit's help with the Spirit's power, of course. But the conformity to the moral law outwardly is conformity outwardly to the life of Christ. Like yes. those two things Amen. are synonymous. Now, the inward change, the the the, the uh, spiritual change, the change of the heart, that only comes by the Spirit. And outward right. conformity to the law doesn't get us anything without that spiritual change inside. But it still doesn't change the fact that that outward conformity to the law is what outwardly makes us look more and more like Jesus. And there's value in that. Yes. Yeah. I, I totally agree. That that's a beautiful thing. Well, By anyone, the way, if any, go ahead, go ahead. Oh man, we're British now. It's like the British bake off here. Could, could you pass me the flour, please? I, Oh, I, so, I uh, no, uh, go. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, you go. Uh, yeah. Uh, in case anybody wants to look it up, um, that's just the way it is. Phil Collins. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, in case anyone else is counting, I think now that we have lied to our audience and said we were going to wrap up the show four or five times now. So I'm going to be a person of truth and actually just do it. So, Jesse, until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood.